Thank you, Joel. Thank you, worship team. Church, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to the book of Mark together. Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one underneath the chair in front of you. We'd love for you to open that one up with us. Um, you need to double check, triple check everything I say with the Word of God. We would love for you to read that with us. Um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's grow in faith together. Maybe you're here and you don't have faith in Jesus. Reading His Word is how God does that. That's what we, would, we would love for that to happen today. If you are meeting Jesus for the first time, we would love for you to find faith in Him today. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. If you need a Bible... If you need one at home, take that one home with you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, take that one to them. We'd love to be part of that. Mark chapter 10. So last week we finished up looking at our assurance of salvation in the book of 1 John. And Mark has been kind of our tent pole for the last year plus. 2020, 2021, Mark, we're going to go through the book of Mark. And every once in a while we'll go through something like 1 John. That's kind of been... Uh, our MO, that's what we've been doing, uh, and we're on Mark chapter 10, and I tell you, one of the benefits of committing to going through an entire book like Mark, one of the important things, one of the reasons that we do that so often, is your preacher can't hide from any passage. Are you with me? The reason that we go through verse by verse so often is we need to hear the whole counsel of the Word of God. And there are passages, like the one we're going to visit today, which are difficult to preach and difficult to hear. It's, it's kind of like this. I remember uh, when I was planning out First John and we were going through that, and I said, where am I going to break up Mark? I knew chapter 10 was coming, and I'll go out. We'll, I'll do it before that. We'll, we'll let future Jordan worry about Mark 10, right? That's where we are today. Today, Mark chapter 10, ask this question. What does God think about divorce? What does God think about divorce? The church has handled this topic, as I can see it, uh, two ways. Ignore it can ignore it. I think that's a temptation for us. Or I think we land on it with both feet and we try to stigmatize divorce. Like it's something bigger or greater or worse than anything else. What I've come to realize talking with Divorced people, divorced Christians, and this is not breaking newsworthy, you know all this. Divorce is one of the most painful things that someone can go through. As I was studying this, it's been said that divorce is often more painful than a spouse dying. The death of a spouse, they say, is often clean pain. It's tremendous pain, but it's clean pain. They're gone. Divorce is often dirty pain. The person is still here. I interact with them. My family interacts with them. 
And this kind of we can all see that. And if you can't see that, I think there's something going on in your heart. We, we, need, we feel that. We feel the depth of that. And uh, research says that half of marriages end in divorce. And as American Christians, we don't lag very far behind there. 40% of proclaiming Christian marriages will end in divorce. Hearing those things and hearing how difficult it is and how, how deep the pain is, and being a father of three children and loving you and loving them and loving every, try, trying to love you well, you know, I, I don't believe the church can ignore this topic. I don't think we can ignore it and say that we love people. And because Scripture talks about it, I don't think the church can ignore it and say we believe that the Bible is the inspired, perfect Word of God. We can't ignore it because the Bible doesn't ignore it. And we can't ignore it because we love people and divorce hurts people. And I think, I've, I, think I know myself, I think I know church temptations well enough, I think I can wrap my mind around it, that if a church does not speak to it from God's Word, it will be spoken in whispers to one another. And so often I think if we ignore it, and we stigmatize it. Those are different ends of the spectrum. But I think if we ignore it, it will be stigmatized. Are you with me? If we don't teach about it plainly, I think it will be falsely taught in whispers. And unfortunately, church culture, that tends to stigmatize divorce. Church cultures like this can make divorced people feel like second-class citizens of the kingdom of God. And if we understand the Gospel, and if we understand the blood of Jesus that covers all sin, if we can understand what we have been invited into by the blood of Christ, there are no second-class citizens of the kingdom of God. So to make people feel that way is, is ultimate disrespect and twisting of the Gospel. And so churches should be providing clarity. Churches should be providing grace and mercy and ears for listening and a back to help carry the burden. And so, entering into this passage, there are lots of questions on divorce. You Google it, and the first things that come up are, how expensive is divorce? And just the way God, the way God does things with His Word, this very week, I saw on Facebook, Facebook is good for something once in a while, I saw on Facebook a high school friend of mine posted, why must divorce cost so much? And one of my, a godly friend of mine who also in high school with us commented, because they want to make sure everything's even. 
Your heart is broken, so your bank account should be broken too. And that just shows, it just shows the depth of it. Another question. You go to Amazon Books and you look up Divorce. The first sponsored book that comes up is this. Crucify the bum. How to come out ahead in your divorce. That's terrible. So we, we tend to ask all kinds of questions about this very emotional, very difficult topic. We ask a lot of questions, but what, what we are tempted not to ask is this. What does Jesus think about divorce? And so that's the question that's asked in Mark chapter 10. And so would you read with me? Let's read together God's Word. Mark, big number 10. And we're going to read the little number, little number 12 together. It goes like this. And he left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up to him, and in order to test him, asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, He wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Wow. Okay. What is the question being asked here? What's, what's, let's, we, gotta, we need to be, when we're talking about a very emotional topic, when we're talking about people's hearts, we need to be very clear. What exactly is the question being asked here? We are blessed to have four Gospels, four accurate, inspired, inerrant biographies of Jesus' time on the earth. And so this is not the only time this, this, this has been recorded. And Matthew gives us an even uh, a, a, another angle to see this conversation. And so Matthew's, Matthew's conversation, Matthew records it this way, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? I think that's an important few words, for any reason. And so, so I think that's the question. Can Jesus, you say that you're, you're, the, you're the Messiah, these people's crowds are coming, you say that you're this big teacher, we're going to test you, we're going to try you, we're going to tempt you. 
Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? When does God allow a man to divorce his wife? And so, that's the question. When when does God allow a man to divorce his wife? So, that's the what. Why this question? Why this question? Well, this was a big religious debate of the day. Jews were having this conversation, having these debates. When is it appropriate? When is it allowed for a man to divorce his wife? That's a big conversation. The second reason they asked this question. Did you notice? To trap Jesus, to trick Jesus, to tempt Jesus. If you'll remember where we are in the book of Mark, he says we've crossed the Jordan into Judea. That is Herod, King Herod's territory. Do you remember what happened to King Herod? King Herod married his brother's wife after she divorced her husband. And John the Baptist, prophet of God, is saying, you can't do that. God does not recognize this marriage. You can't divorce your husband like that and then marry his brother. You can't do that. And what happens to John? Herod cuts his head off. So the Pharisees are coming and they're asking him this question. He says, we, they're testing, they're tempting, they're trying. What are they trying to do by trying Jesus? They're trying to get his head chopped off. We already know in Mark that the Pharisees and, and Herod's group, they're together. They're trying to scheme against this guy Jesus, who happens to be John's cousin. Probably has similar ideas about divorce. Probably has similar courage to speak the truth. Why this question also? Because divorce is just a part of our human experience. We like to think that people back then had everything together and then the moral decay of the world has just reached us and everything's just going to pot and all those things. You know, that's what we like to think. People divorced each other back then. Divorce was as common back then. And so as Jesus often does, when, when can we divorce our wives? Jesus, when does God allow us to divorce our wives? When can I send my wife away and not be afraid that God's going to strike me down? How can I divorce my wife? And the Pharisees are thinking this. How can I divorce my wife and still feel self-righteous? And Jesus, as He always does, and this is what I would encourage all of us to do on hard topics like this. What does He say? He sends us back to God's Word. What does Moses command? What does Moses command? Now Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Jesus takes us back to the source. What does does God, what does Moses command? And then what Moses commands is what God commands because Moses was inspired by the Holy Spirit. What does God, what's in the Bible? What's in the Bible? And that's what we should care about with every subject, but stuff like this in particular. You don't need to know what I think about things. He brings us back not to a human authority because our our human mind gets blurred with emotion and with pain and with all the things that come along with a topic like divorce. We get blurred. So Jesus says, what does the Bible command? 
And so Jesus' counter-question is one like this. What, does, what is God's desire for our marriage? And they come up. They've got an answer ready. This is a, they're trying to trap Jesus. This is not a genu- necessarily a genuine question because they're trying to trick, trap, tempt Jesus. So they come back and they say, verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. That's true. That's in there. Deuteronomy 24 gives us this allowance in Scripture. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Moses wrote this allowance for the people of Israel and for the people of God. And he says it this way. If a man finds indecency in his wife, he can give her a certificate of divorce. So we're talking about indecency, give her a certificate of divorce. Now, what do we do with verses like that as sinful human beings, what are we prone to do? I'm prone to take that verse and to twist it and poke it and prod it and cut it to fit my agenda. That's what I'm tempted to do. And so, in that verse, those verses that say, if you find an indecency in your wife, by the way, indecency literally in the Hebrew says, if you find her nakedness exposed. That's the idea. What is he talking about there? He's talking about adultery. It's really clear that's what he's talking about. But still, the Pharisees and the scribes, and because of our sinful hearts and our hard hearts, we t- cut that and prod it and poke it. And so what they've done is they've, they've twisted it to such a way as, as to make it a get-out-of-marriage-free card. I can call all sorts of things indecent. They are misusing this passage to bring harm to women, harm to marriages, and harm to families. They used that verse to justify divorcing their wives for anything that they didn't like. In fact, in the Mishnah, which is is an ancient Jewish commentary on the Scriptures, on the Old Testament. It's not Scripture. But it says this. This is what this is the commentary on that verse. The following women may be divorced. She who violates the law of Moses, for example, causes her husband to eat food which has not been tithed. She who vows but does not keep her vows. Anybody ever tell your husband you're going to do one thing and then you don't end up not doing it? How about this? She who goes out on the street with her hair loose. Or spins in the street. Who's spinning in the street? Who spins in the street? Or who converses with any man? Or is a noisy woman? Don't laugh at that. What is a noisy woman? It is one who speaks in her own house so loud that the neighbors may hear her. In quotation. That's, that's funny and that's silly, but 
It's not so funny if your husband divorces you, casts you out of his house because you're spinning in the street or you're talking too loud. I mean, that's... And so, so that, that's, that's what's going on here. And they say, yeah, Moses allows us to divorce our wife. And here's the crux. Here's the crux of it. And this is a principle that we can apply to our own lives as we come before God's Word. Here's the, here's the crux of the matter. It's, Moses allows a man to divorce his wife. That's not what Jesus asked. He did not ask what God allows. What did He ask? What does God command? That's very different, isn't it? Those are two very different things. Those are two very different things. As I grew up in church, going to youth group, we had a collegiate Christian, those two things. This was our number one question that we heard all the time. And I'm sure Bob is hearing this. Bob and Beth are hearing this. I'm sure Christian Challenge is hearing this question. And this question goes like this. If you grew up in the church, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, youth pastor, college pastor, how far is too far with my girlfriend or boyfriend? Where's the line? That's the same question. What does God allow? What do we mean by that? I want to go as far as possible before God strikes me with a lightning bolt. What does God allow? Jesus says that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The question we should be asking is not, what will God allow me to do with my broken marriage? The question that we should be asking is, how can I glorify Christ with my broken marriage? It's a very different thing. And so Jesus answers. And what we need to be very careful about is Jesus doesn't just shut them down and say, no, there's no allowance for divorce. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Some Christians believe that, preach that, teach that. I can't work that out in Scripture. One of the reasons I can't work that out in Scripture is, remember, Matthew 19 reflects this passage. And at the end of Matthew 19, he says, if anyone divorces his wife for any reason other than adultery and remarries, they're an adulterer. So Jesus had those allowances in his mind knew that they were from God, and put that out there. There are allowances. And I think the principle is this. If someone has broken the covenant of marriage, there is an allowance for divorce. I think that's what we find in Scripture. I think that's what Moses is talking about. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. And adultery is the ultimate Evidence of a broken covenant? So there is an allowance for adultery. There, I see that Scripture. I can't say anything other than that. I think that's what, that's what Scripture is saying. And some people will take this, will disagree with me here, but that's okay. I think when we talk about, the, we talk about things like abuse in marriage, these situations come up where the husband's not cheating, but he's beating his wife at home. 
What do you do with that? Well, I believe that that is, a, that is also a destruction of the covenant of marriage. In fact, what I like, we have early Christian sources that this is how the church used to deal with things like that. There's this handbook for early Christian elders and pastors and deacons. And this is one of the things that comes up. What, what do you do when a church member is beating on his wife? This is, this is what they say. Pastor, elder, you go find your sturdiest two or three deacons and you pay that bozo a visit. I like that. As Scripture unfolds in the New Testament, we see allowances made if you're married to a non-believer and they divorce you. So, allowances are there. Allowances are, are there. But let's read what these allowances really come from. Let's read verse 5 together. Would you read, read it with me? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. There are allowances given for divorce, but they always come from a place of a hardened heart. And that brings us to a really interesting point that there are commandments in the Old Testament that God gives that are not from His perfect will. What do we mean by that? God's perfect will is that there's no divorce ever. And I think we can agree that would be our will too, wouldn't it? Yeah. But there are commands that God gives to curtail sinfulness, to, to curtail harm, done to women and children. There are commands given that are not His ideal will, but there are commands given to protect the weak and the often abused. And that's where Deuteronomy comes in. In the ancient world, women had nothing outside their family and their husband. And so God, knowing the hardness of our hearts, and I love how Jesus pointed out that the Pharisees, you, so we're thinking some of these Pharisees divorced their wife. He gives it to you, Pharisees, because of the hardness of your hearts. God gives Deuteronomy because He knows husbands are going to abuse their wives and families with divorce. So instead of looking at your wife and saying, get out of my house, Moses says you must give her a certificate of divorce. That is to protect the wife. Because instead of just going out into the street, being an outcast, is when you're divorced as a woman, you're, you're gone, you're on the street, you've got no family, you've got nothing, at least she has a certificate that she might be able to find another husband, another family that says, hey, I'm not just some adulterous woman. I'm not just some woman of the evening. No, I, I have been divorced. Gives her hope. And so, what Jesus is saying here, is that all divorce is contrary to God's perfect will. 
And I think what God, is, what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here, is that God's will is always for reconciliation. Always. And aren't you glad about that, Christians? That God is all about reconciliation? That's what He does with me. There's not a bigger sinner in this room than me, and He has reconciled me to Himself through the work of Jesus. And so God's will for our marriages is always repentance and reconciliation. Repentance and reconciliation. This is not some Stockholm Syndrome that says the husband should abuse and abuse and abuse and cheat and cheat and cheat or vice versa. Repentance and reconciliation. God's will for our marriages is always commitment, always long-suffering, always hesed love. And yes, even in the face of adultery. And yes, even in the face of something as terrible as physical abuse. Now again, we're not saying send that woman back into that situation. We're saying God's will is that that man repents because he is under the wrath of God for laying a finger on his child. Are you with me? And we laughed about it earlier, but man, two or three stout elders who consider you their sister in Christ that Jesus died for, they're going to get the message across. Are you with me? And don't go beating anybody up saying your preacher told you to. Repentance and reconciliation. However, due to the hardness of our hearts, that is just not always possible. And so, the question then, Jesus says, what does God command? Now, what does He allow? What does He command? What does He desire for broken marriages? God desires for you and me to see our marriage as indestructible. That's His desire. And so Jesus says, yeah, you, could, you can quote Moses in Deuteronomy, but don't forget, Moses also wrote Genesis. And this is what we see about marriage in Genesis. This is the command of God. Not the allowance of God. This is the command of God. Let's read this together. Verse 6. But... From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man separate. So God's desire is for you and me to see our marriage as indestructible and to try our best to live that way. And so Jesus goes on and he says, he ends it by this, saying this. He says, So what God brings together, let no man take apart. And he says, That goes so. And the disciples get together and they say, that, Like some of us are probably thinking, Jesus, what are you really saying here? And so Jesus ends by saying, If a man divorces his wife for any other reason other than adultery and comes back together, he's committing adultery. How can that be? Because God still believes that they're married. And I know what we're thinking. And the disciples thought the same thing. And Matthew, after Jesus tells them this, you know what the disciples say? They say, 
then nobody should be getting married. That's what they say. If we can't divorce our wife for any other reason, nobody should be getting married. Why? Marriage is hard. What does God think about marriage? They went to Deuteronomy. We could go to places like Malachi. If you want to know what God commands, what God really thinks, what's in His heart about marriage, we go to Malachi 2.16. He says this, I hate divorce. Not very many ways you can cut that and clip that and poke that and prod that, twist that and squeeze that. God says, I hate divorce. Now, two crucial points. He doesn't say, I hate divorced people, does He? No, of course not. The other crucial point, God hates divorce. We hate divorce too, don't we? Some of you hate it from inside and know how bad it was. Some of you, like me, are from the outside, but you have loved ones who have gone through it, and you hate it too. We hate divorce like God hates divorce. God hates, even if you're, even if by God's grace you're in a better place after your divorce. That's just evidence that God loves you and God's gracious towards you and God's merciful towards you. In the middle of it, you hated it, didn't you? God hates divorce for many reasons, but God hates divorce, I think, for, for a really big reason. God hates divorce because He loves you. In this Malachi passage, this is how God, God says, I hate divorce, and He hates divorce because divorce is violence. That's what He calls it. He calls it violence. And He doesn't want violence done towards you. He doesn't want violence done in your heart. And so if the, if the Pharisees are being honest with themselves and saying, what does God think about it? I hate divorce. Why does He hate divorce? Because He loves people. He loves you. And he hates divorce. He wants us to think about divorce as if, or as or he wants us to think of our marriage as if it's indestructible. And Jesus hits on this heart. He takes us back. He says, "Yeah, Deuteronomy is there, but let's go all the way back to Genesis. Let's go to the very first thing we learn about God and His creation. The first book. Jesus takes us back to the beginning. Marriage is from the beginning." Marriage, think about this. Marriage was created at the beginning along with the stars and the sun and the moon and the earth and the water and the plants and the birds. And then marriage. It's not an afterthought. It's created amongst the elemental pieces of our universe. In fact, God gives more time describing His creation of marriage than He gives to describing His creation of the sun and the moon. He gives more time to it. That gives a weightiness that we should approach marriage with this kind of weightiness. Like we think about the sun, marriage. He says he, from the beginning, He created them male and female. Marriage is a foundational relationship to humanity. Marriage is foundational to, to maleness and femaleness. 
Now, does that mean marriage is the best thing? No. In fact, Jesus tells us and Paul tells us and God's Word tells us it's a gift from God to be single. Our culture doesn't like that. Our American Christian culture doesn't like that. It seems like all single people the church wants to do is get them married. That's not what the Bible says. But wrapped up in being a male and a female is this idea that we are to be connected. Obviously for procreation, but also for strong families and strong churches and strong communities and strong nations. Strong marriages make those things possible. And good. From the beginning, male and female, Jesus says, so how's this marriage supposed to look? He says they're to leave their families. And Genesis says, cling to one another. Leave your family. That's all you had back then. It is, it is, we are leaving my family, everything I own, and we are clinging, we're making something new, clinging to my wife, clinging to my Husband. He says, hold fast to the spouse. Why does he put it that way? Because marriage is hard. Hold fast to one another. It's hard. And then he says this. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And certificate of divorce in the ancient language means ripping apart. You know, that, that kind of a... And many of us have felt that, that. That ripping, how devastating that that is. No matter what, it's devastating, it's hurtful, it's hard. He says... What God has joined together, let no man separate. What does this mean? This means that your marriage is more about God than it is about you. Isn't that something? That you think that you were a stud in college and you proposed to your wife and what could she do? Say, say no? I mean, look at you, you handsome devil, you. You know, you thought that you were in control and then, then you went and you got a pastor and you got a church and you got your families together and you had to take the, the, sign the, the marriage license and you took it to them. The, the state of Kansas is involved and all these things. All these people brought together and then you get married and look at all these people involved. Well, above all those people being involved is God, the creator of the universe, has brought you together. Jesus says, since this is true, let no man take it apart. And so Jesus gives us this idea that, that marriage is designed by God to be a permanent institution. And again, this is weighty and this is emotional. But we, we, we know that too. I mean, we believe that too. You, you didn't enter your marriage thinking that it's, oh, I'll do this for six months. Maybe you did. If you did, you need to repent. Right? But you didn't do that. I think a lot of these things we agree with God wholeheartedly about and it just gets difficult. And God feels this way about divorce. When we know what marriage is about, we can understand why God feels this way. Divorce scrambles God's great love letter to you. God has designed from the very beginning of creation, 
that marriage is the great love letter in which he describes his relationship with his church. Marriage is a parable of the gospel for ourselves as we live it, for our kids, for our grandkids, for the kids watching you at church, for our single brothers and sisters watching us in small group. Marriage is meant to till the soil of our hearts so that we will easily recognize and receive the gospel. God describes His love to us in Scripture. And I want Bailey and Charlie and Judah to read that and go, I recognize that. And we see this in some of my my favorite passages of Scripture. We see this in the book of Hosea. Marriage is intended to show us God and His people. Hosea, God tells Hosea, go marry a prostitute. They come, they have kids, it's a good, and then she runs off back into the red light district to commit adultery after adultery. And God tells Hosea this in Hosea 3.1, And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman that is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Steadfastness. Forgiveness. Reconciliation. All these things, when you fight with your spouse and you reconcile, it's a picture of the Gospel, isn't it? When you, when you ignore that annoying thing that they always do, they do all the time, that's a picture of the Gospel, isn't it? How often must we annoy God? Steadfast love. So Christian, how good is the Gospel? God never thinks of divorcing you even in the face of your adultery. It's good news. Good news. And then Paul, Paul doesn't split any hairs. Do you want to be close? Give me a little clearer, preacher. Give me a little clearer. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. There it is again. And the two shall become one flesh. He says, I'm going to tell you a mystery. It's profound. I am speaking of Christ and the church. Marriage is a parable the gospel the main purpose of marriage is to reflect Christ and the church so believers work hard on your marriage repentance and reconciliation is the air that we breathe and maybe you're here and you're and what I don't want to happen in this passage is I don't want to heap guilt on someone that's not what we're talking about I do not want to heap guilt on anyone. Jesus does not want to heap guilt on anyone. Maybe you're saying, I divorced my wife for sinful reasons and I've remarried. What do I do? You love your spouse. Well, you show the parable of the Gospel where you are now. You realize and remember that how beautiful is this? We see the picture of the Gospel. We say Jesus never divorces us. Guess what? Jesus will never divorce divorced people. Are you with me? How beautiful is the Gospel? He's with you forever. Singleness, He's with you forever. Married couple, trying your best to hold on fast to your spouse and how hard it is. and He will never leave you. Divorced people, He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. 
He loves you. He will never leave you. He's with you. He says, I'm with you. He says, I'm with you always. Even to the end. And that is the beauty of the gospel. And we see that most clearly. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We see this most clearly. Does Jesus love divorced people or what? We have a picture. Jesus encounters a woman at the well. Remember this story? She is the greatest outcast we see in all of Scripture. She's a Samaritan. That means she's outside of the people of God. She's a mean woman. She's an outcast. The other women of the community won't even let her gather water with them. She's all by herself. And she's an outcast primarily because she has been divorced five times. And we see this divorced five times woman approached by Jesus. And what do we see? We don't see any condemnation. We don't see any burdens being placed. We don't see any of that. What does Jesus tell her? You know what Jesus tells her? She is the first person that Jesus confesses that He is the Messiah. The first one. The first one. The clearest presentation of Jesus. The first time He just lays it all out there for someone. It's not a perfect married person. It's not a pastor. It's not a king. It's a five-time divorced outcast woman. And He says, I am the Messiah. Repent. Your sins are forgiven. Isn't that beautiful? that beautiful? God will never leave you or forsake you. As we stand together and we sing, I'm going to encourage you. Maybe you're here and you don't know who Jesus is. Your time is running out. Jesus' message in Mark is this. Repent and believe the good news that Jesus saves sinners. Today, we call you. Today, repent from your sins and embrace what Jesus has done for you on the cross. How do you do that? Meet with Him in prayer. After this, if you have questions about what that looks like, come and find me. I would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. He will never leave us or forsake us. Would you stand with us as we sing together?